Hey now, and welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 3, About a Girl, which was written by Seth MacFarlane and directed by Brannon Braga. Before we get to trivia and the episode, we have some reviews to read. Some very kind listeners left some reviews. If you would like us to read your review on an episode, all you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever they're calling it these days, leave a five-star review, and then uh, write us a little review there, and we'll possibly read it on the show. So we have two to read today. The first one comes from uh, Baturkey. Or bat turkey. I like the bat aspect of it. I love it. <laughs> uh, they start by saying, strong start. Unlike Bordis and Clyden, Rob and Katie did not lay an egg making this podcast. Oh, I love that. That is very kind. <laughs> Thank <And> you. <laughs> very referential to this particular episode as yeah, well. I appreciate that. Our next review comes in from Random Gotham. I feel like there's a lot of like Bat and Gotham going on here, yeah. just not on purpose, but I appreciate it. Is this just Batman's like cronies just Maybe. writing reviews for us? Maybe they're coming out of the woodwork. Uh, Random Gotham starts by saying, open this jar of pickles. I'm so glad I randomly stumbled upon this podcast. I'm a huge Orville fan, and I was instantly grabbed by the podcast title artwork. What I love about Rob and Katie are their in-depth discussions and fun facts about the episode and their differing opinions on things, including jokes, which leads to great banter between them. Looking forward to going quantum with these two. Oh, thank you. I'm just excited we got some reviews. That makes me like so happy. I know we had like one episode out and people are already starting to review and that makes uh, me super thrilled. And also uh, for people that are interested, because the podcast title artwork was mentioned, the character design was done by my friend Roger Andrews, who is a great artist. And you can find his stuff at rand247.com or on his YouTube channel at Sketchy Go Itchy. He does uh, drawing demos over there. So go check that out. He did an amazing job. I don't know. I just am in awe of how artistically talented he is. He is unbelievably good. Yeah. And now I have a little me that he drew. <laughs> and that makes me so that, that just it's exciting to see yourself in cartoon form. There's it just is. something fun about that. It's super fun. Uh, not that we're like asking for fan art or anything, but it would be great. <laughs> I mean, if you guys like want to do fan art, um, you know, I'm not going to stop you and I'll love every minute of it. So. Absolutely. Also, if you're looking for a way to get in touch with us, you can email us at quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can follow us on Twitter at quantumdrivepod. And if you want to chat with us kind of outside of the show, but in kind of real-time typey, you can go to thegeekgeneration.com slash discord and hop in there. We have a channel for the Orville where we like discussing the show as well. So hop on in and say hi. Come hang out with us. Let's get into some trivia. Oh, I have a lot of trivia. Yes. Okay, so I'm just going to jump into this. So you know the scene, the Western scene? Yeah, totally. In the environmental simulator, when they're doing the Western, um, actor Jay Lee, who plays John, mm-hmm. he had to learn how to ride a horse for that. Oh, really? And I, I took horse riding lessons growing up. It took me some time to learn how to ride a horse. Mm. Like I'm, I just think that's fascinating because... He had to learn how to ride a horse just for that scene. Is it weird that it never dawned on me that they might have to learn how to ride those? Like, you can't just get on a horse and ride. (laughs) No, yeah, there are special skills you must acquire before riding a horse. And I 
I, I don't think about that either. And I found that as a fun fact and found it fascinating. I think that's one of the coolest parts of being an actor is all the skills you get to pick up along the way. I know. Like you get otherwise, would he have had a reason to learn how to ride a horse? Maybe <laughs> not. Knows? Yeah. So I think that was a pretty cool thing. Peter Macon um, has a quote about his character Bordis, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. Um, he said, Bordis, a commander of few words. He's very serious and extremely dutiful. He is fascinated by, but quietly removed from the zaniness of his fellow crew members. Mysterious, male, Mocklin. That's awesome. I thought that was a really good description of Bordis. Yeah, and it kind of supports what we had said before, is that Bordis is kind of the only one who doesn't know he's in a comedy. Mm-hmm. But he's fascinated by it. And yes. I think that's a really good way to describe him. Yeah, because he's got a curiosity to him. Yeah. Uh, Seth MacFarlane did a lot of sketches in concept art for the show. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the Mocklin egg design was supervised by Howard Berger. And he said this about the egg design. We designed several different eggs. And then Seth picked the one that he thought looked the most painful to lay. And they built that egg. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is funnier when you think about the most painful one coming out. Also, the egg is pretty big. It is pretty big. It's a large egg. For the show, they use the relationship between Bordis and Clyden as a way to explore domestic issues. That makes sense. They are... Are they the only married couple? Yeah. Yeah, they're the only... I mean, Ed and Kelly are divorced, so they are the only like married couple on the senior staff. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think about that at all until I found this about their relationship and how the show is using it to explore that mm-hmm. and it is they 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 explore domestic issues as a married couple and they are the only ones it's probably why we've seen so much of them mhm but i i'm very interested to talk about more of the things that happened down the road oh, with yes. them for the show they created a mechanical puppet mocklin infant and they brought in real babies too And then the visual effects team ended up taking some of the real baby's facial features and adding them to the puppet. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't really notice a puppet at all. I guess they had, like, a little mechanical baby, and I think they probably just, like, superimposed the face onto, like, the little little head and everything, and I... I, it looks like a real baby. It does. I assumed that they put a baby in makeup and That's prosthetics. What I did too. So when I found this, I was like, that makes a lot more sense than making a baby wear a Mocklin head. <laughs> yeah. How, how long does the baby have to go in the makeup chair for yeah. all the Mocklin prosthetics? And babies are squirmier. So it yes. probably, and it, they move their hands. I just, it makes a lot more sense it that really they did does, it that yeah. way. Smart. One interesting thing about Bordis's makeup is that it's in three pieces, and the only parts of Peter Macon's face that you see are his eyes and his mouth. Oh, wow. Because I've seen, I've seen Peter Macon outside of makeup, mm-hmm. and yeah, there's a lot of extra head on Bordis. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to look up Peter Macon now, because I want to see the difference. He's, oh, yeah. It yeah. Looks, he looks different. Yeah. Very different. But you can see, you can see Bordis there. Even Mm -hmm. just looking at him because he comes through that makeup very well. Yeah. Okay. So David A. Goodman, who is a writer and executive producer on the show, said one of Seth's goals was he wanted a show where you didn't know what it was going to be like every week. You could have a very funny straight comedy episode one week, a heavy dramatic episode one week, a courtroom drama one week. So it's not like a cop or hospital show where you basically have the same story every week and it's something you really don't get on television anymore. Mm, that's very true there's not a lot of shows that can jump around like that the one that comes to mind 
is Doctor Who because Doctor mm-hmm. Who really is capable of doing every type of beat that you can do. And TNG was a little more like that, but they still had a tone that they hit regardless. Yeah. Like there's no like comedy episodes of TNG necessarily. No. I yeah. guess you could think of something like Cupid maybe as more of a comedy one because that's just ridiculous. The Robin yeah. Hood one and yeah, no, this that's probably one of the best things about this show is that they can kind of do whatever they want with it. Okay, I found some more fun facts that I was originally looking for in the beginning to tie to that Western scene. Okay. In the simulation program, Seth MacFarlane wears the same Western outfit that he wore in his movie, A Million Ways to Die in the West. That is smart. Yeah, I didn't realize that till I found this fun fact. And I was like, oh, my God, it's the same. It's like a little Easter egg. That's great. I love that. I didn't love the movie so much, but I still love that fact. (laughs) (laughs) About a Girl was the second written episode of season one. Mm. It seems like they moved a lot of the episodes around. Oh, for sure. And it's interesting because the three we've watched so far, they're so different. Oh, very. Yeah, there's no through line. Like we had said before, they added some stuff to Command Performance to make it line up with this one. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if... They were going to have Bordas sit on the egg for a couple episodes, maybe. Yeah. It's interesting. They did have to shuffle things around. I'd love to talk to somebody about how that actually works and how difficult that is when you restructure things and you've already started filming. I don't know, but it sounds like they're a lot smarter than me <laughs> to get that all <laughs> organized because there's a lot to think about and to move especially when you're getting a show off the ground to move episodes around so much. Yes. I'm sure there was some headaches involved with that. I have no doubt. Um, So luckily, the actors that Seth MacFarlane liked for all the Mocklins all had a deep baritone voice and features similar to Peter Macon. So it feels like there is a genetic link between all the characters of the Mocklin race. Hmm. Does that mean I can play a Mocklin? (laughs) You maybe you do have like that deep baritone voice. So. Someday you can maybe be a Mocklin. Someday. The Mocklin environment is a mix of blasted industrial landscape and underground caves. And Red Rock was an inspiration for the caves and the rocks. Okay. It's, yeah, very industrial. I like the, uh, not necessarily the look of the planet. Like the planet looks fine. It just looks dirty and like over industrialized, like they said. But I like a lot of the courtroom design. Yeah. I loved the way that they did that. And I think the planet itself is intriguing because it's so industrial. Mm -hmm. And Red Rocks is in Colorado. So if you guys Google that, you can see similarities in how the landscape of Mockless looks. But it's just intriguing because, I mean, it just seems like a very tough race that just is there to manufacture. And it's in this like desolate environment. And I think it set a really good tone for the episode. I agree. Okay. So now I have some guest stars, if you will. Mm -hmm. So we meet Clyden this episode. Yep. And Clyden is played by Chad L. Coleman, who is from The Expanse, who plays Fred Johnson on that. And he's from The Walking Dead, and he played Tyrese. I'm familiar with his Expanse character. Uh, I'm Mm -hmm. not familiar with his Walking Dead character because I don't watch that. I loved Tyrese, and that's all I'll say. (laughs) Um, (laughs) For now. (laughs) For now. Uh, Rena Owen who played Havina, originally auditioned for the role of Dr. Claire Finn for the pilot. But the casting remembered her, and they called her back to play Havina. Yes, and she is a great actress. I mean, I'm obviously very happy with their choice for Claire Finn. 
mm-hmm. but Havina has gravitas to her. Havina, she's she's very memorable, mm-hmm. and she's just a very powerful character. So I'm glad that they incorporated her in, into the show, even if she couldn't be Doctor Finn. Totally, she's got a very powerful character. Brandon Braga, who is an executive producer, he also directed this episode, but he was a producer for The Next Generation, Voyager, and Enterprise. Oh yeah, he is, his lineage with Star Trek is unbelievable. He's been around for so much of it, so it makes a lot of sense to bring him over. And like we said before, there's a lot of Star Trek personalities, talent that they've gone from Star Trek to do this. The the influence that they've had on the show is very evident. Well, it's it's cuz we always bring up ties between Star mm-hmm. Trek and the show. So, but they also have ties too. So, They're I feel like encouraging us. Yes. <laughs> All right, my last fact is um the reptilian alien that you see in the synthesizer room. Mm-hmm. He has a pillow that says have a slimy day. Yeah. Is a cameo by Julia Sharp who is a writer and co-producer on Family Guy. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and I really love that scene that <laughs> I just love I love those little things. He just got a little pillow that says have a slimy day. Yeah. And he had a one-liner and it made me happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there'll be some other Seth MacFarlane family coming in mm-hmm. here and there. I mean, keep digging. Try to find good stuff. Awesome. I know that was a lot of fun facts. <laughs> it's great. I love that. All right. Let's get into the episode itself. So the crew is checking in on Bordis and Clyden's new baby. The child is female, a rare occurrence that Isaac points out only happens once every 75 years. Once the crew leaves, Clyden tells Bordis that, quote, it must be done, to which he agrees. I was scared. <laughs> yeah, I not knowing what they're talking about. Yeah. It just you assume the worst. And then we meet Clyden. This is like the first time we meet Clyden really. And it's just a lot to unpack when you're just like, "Oh, I mean, are they going to kill the baby?" That's like, what that was, was my first thought. <laughs> and so yeah, I I they 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 start you off with a cliffhanger almost. Yeah, he says it in a very downtrodden way. So I was mm-hmm. really scared. <laughs> in sick bay, Yaffa is feigning illness as an excuse to ask out Dr. Finn, something he's apparently tried multiple times and becomes a little bit of a running joke for a bit. I feel like I I, I think it's funny, but also when he grows an appendage, mm. isn't that sexual harassment? One would think. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, that's my immediate thought when Yafit, you know, she's like, we're not species that are compatible. And he, he grows an appendage. I was like, that that's borderline. But like, that is sexual. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why she kicks him out right away. Yeah. She's like, get out. And he leaves. Yeah. But apparently he's got the hots for Dr. Finn. Yeah, sure does. <laughs> Bordis arrives in sick bay and asks Dr. Finn to perform the procedure of conforming their child to make her into a male. I thought using the word conform was an interesting choice. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. I'm going to Google the definition just so my brain can... Conform? Ooh, yeah, comply with rules, standards, or laws. Yeah, so instead of saying we want you to just change the gender of the child, Mm -hmm. he specifically uses the word conform, so... It's basically, can you go ahead and make this kid like the rest of us? Yeah, and and it's more of like, they don't have, it sounds more of like, I don't have a choice in this. Mm -hmm. Like, we have to conform to the law. Yeah. And Dr. Finn, 
gets upset like almost immediately. Oh, yeah. Uh, totally refuses, despite Bordas referring to the child's condition as an illness. And then we cut to Mercer, Gordon, and Lamar riding on horseback in a Western setting. Mm -hmm. They're bantering with an outlaw who eventually challenges them to a dance contest. It's here that we're told they're in a simulation. Because until that point, we could have thought they were on an away mission or something. Yeah. I just like that they added the dance. Here's the thing about me. I hate themed episodes. Yeah. Any show... Anytime they try to do a noir or they try to do like a Western themed, okay. like I love Castle and they did a Western themed episode and it just like, I just seethe while I watch them because I'm like, no, I just want the normal stuff. Yeah. So like what I liked about this and thought was refreshing is that, you know, the dance contest thing saved it for me. And obviously Ed didn't like that portion of it, but um, I like that Gordon was super into it. Oh, yeah. He's just like rocking out while... <laughs> Yeah. This guy's just break dancing on the roof. I, one, loved that bit, and two, loved how into it Gordon was. And he's yeah. just like, yeah, he, he's so proud of it. And, and the other two won't have it. Yeah, he's like, you do not like the changes. <laughs> and I, I did. I like the changes, Gordon. <laughs> I did, too. I thought it was great. In Mercer's office, Bordis complains that Dr. Finn won't perform the sex change procedure. When Ed says that it would be completely unethical to perform that kind of surgery on an infant, Bordis counters by saying that on his planet, not doing so is the unethical choice. Ultimately, Ed dismisses the request based on the fact that they're on a union ship and it goes against their laws. It's interesting because Bordis also compared it to like a cleft palate. Mm -hmm. And I think Ed said something along the lines of like, no, being a girl isn't a condition. Right. Quote, unquote. And... I can see Bordas being frustrated because this is what he grew up with. This is all he's known. Yeah. This is what you do if a girl is born. And so the entire ship is like against him. And I think it's interesting because he's only doing what he knows and what he needs to do yeah. or what he thinks he needs to do. And just seeing this like push and pull with it has been because I can sympathize with Bordas like this is his culture. This is what. You know, and he has to tell it, like, fight everybody to yep. prove that, you know, just because we're different doesn't mean there's a lot of allegories with this that I oh, could yeah. see. Yeah. And it's just a really touchy subject, I think, to dive into. 100%. I did like that Ed's argument ultimately came down to the fact that even if he was in support of Bordas's choice, his hands are tied. Like, it's mm -hmm. against union law. There's nothing he can do. You're on a union ship. You have to respect the and, and Bordas is a union officer. So you have to respect the laws of the union. Yeah. And that's something you feel like I feel I guess Bordas and Clyden maybe thought, oh, we're this isn't going to be a problem. Like we're just going to have a male baby. Right. Right. Well, yeah, they don't they're not expected to know every single law and that that would be an issue. And then I think when, you know, the she was born, they then were presented with the new situation that they had to navigate that they just didn't. I guess they were trying to go through all the right mm -hmm. channels to get it figured out, and they just had roadblocks along the way. Yeah, it's very clear that this has never occurred on a Union ship before, because this is all very new to talk mm -hmm. about. On the bridge, the Orville receives a transmission from Mockless. They inform Mercer that on one of their officers' requests, they've sent a ship to rendezvous with them to take the Mocklin female. I also like that they were just gossiping on the bridge again. Yeah. <laughs> 
they're Does all just like, oh, you talking about this? <laughs> just like, oh, you talking about Boris's baby sex change? I'm just like, and like they were there for a reason. Like they're cutting apart this asteroid yeah. so it doesn't like collide with a planet. And that's just like an afterthought. Yeah. It was basically a reason to have everyone collected on the bridge and doing something mm-hmm. so they could talk about it. And I know Ed was upset because it's like Bordas won. A, I mean, went through the chain of command oh, yeah. to call Mockless or c- call someone from Mockless to be like, hey, you got to come do this. And um, it was interesting because it, you know, Ed was saying you're putting not only the ship at risk, um, but also like our relations with Mockless. Yeah. And I mean, Bordas was just doing what he thought he needed to do. Yeah. It was crazy when Bordas was like, I don't think the Mocklins will see it that way. And Ed's like, what what are you saying? Are you saying this mm-hmm. could be a military conflict? Like, that's that's insane. It was almost like a threat. Too. Yeah. It felt very threatening. Like, and it seems like Mocklin race seems very much like they're war warring. Yeah. Well, and they, their they primary be... like product is weapons. So. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of that just kind of felt like you tied my hands. This is your fault kind of thing. Mm hmm. Ed and Kelly take Bordas and Clyden into the captain's office to discuss the matter further. They tell Bordas that he shouldn't be putting them or the ship in the position that he is. His course of action could strain relations between the Union and Mocklins, who are members of the Union, like we were just saying. In the mess hall, Ed and Kelly debate the ethics of Bordas's request and questioning themselves. Uh, Ed brings up the example of if they had a kid with three legs and mm-hmm. they were to cut off that kid's leg. Are they doing the best thing for that kid, even though that there are species out there with three legs? Would they be conforming that kid to fit their species standard of what they actually are? I feel like it's a little different, but it's also, (laughs) I mean, I could see that argument too, where you're, I just feel like there's no right way to like approach it Mm. because there's always like two sides and then you have to kind of meet in the middle. But like, I feel like three legs is different than changing from a a girl All the examples they give are totally different but i do appreciate the downbeat of taking a moment to say hey is this Mm -hmm. a thing we should be pursuing like yeah sure that's the law but are we on the right side of this ethical debate yeah it's it's almost like a they're checking themselves which i appreciate Mm -hmm. because it is like i can understand from bordis's perspective like this is his culture this is what they do Mm -hmm. This is not something that they would even give a second thought to. And now he is being challenged along the way. And I think it's nice that Ed and Kelly are being reflective on that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it is like a what right do we have to like judge someone else's thing? And I mean, as touchy as it is, like it is it's a very big moral debate. Yeah. And that's the thing that Kelly brings up. Like, what is what is the line then if this Mm -hmm. is a society that kills people? For a particular, like if they're born female, like we had feared would be the possibility with this kid. If if that's their course of action, do they draw the line there? Like where where is the line? Yeah. And Kelly's obviously pissed. Oh, about, yeah. And I get it because like she's I'm a, I'm a lady. I get it. Like it's it sucks to view like a gender that you are as being a problem. Mm-hmm. So it's just. <laughs> I, it, I mean, so I feel like Kelly's more in the camp of like, this is wrong. And Ed's being a little bit more of like the diplomatic, like, yeah. let's look at this more practically. Yeah. Well, that's his job. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> we jump to Alara and Bordas in a boxing ring. Alara has been asked to show Bordas how strong females can be. 
the attempt only succeeds at further angering Bordas, as it should have. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, because I think Kelly was like, oh, let's uh, see if Alara can take a crack at it or whatever. And I, I don't think it was the best way to approach no. it. And the thing is that that struck me the most is after he flies into the wall, Bordas says, like, I'm sick of people, my shipmates, imposing what they think is best for my child. And, like, I feel like that could apply to so many things in our modern world. Mm -hmm. And just everybody, like, in my opinion, it's like the internet. And Bordas is, like, the person who's getting all this unwanted advice and things being forced. And I just feel like maybe they were trying different things to see if they could sway Bordas, but I just don't think that boxing with Alara was the smartest choice. And I don't think it was the right way to present it, like... She brought him into the ring under the guise of, hey, I thought you might need to blow off some steam. Come to find Mm -hmm. out, oh, I'm just trying to teach you another lesson. Of course, that's going to piss him off. Yeah. And it was so smarmy. Like when she was like, yeah, I don't know what she said, but it was like, girls can be tough, too, or something like that. And it just. Be honest with him. Like, I feel like that would have been the best way to handle this because he's only been honest with them. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, <laughs> Meanwhile. The, the, the next people who come in to sway him are a little more subtle about it. Do you think that was that when they came in, that was to sway them? Absolutely. Sway him or see, in my head, I was like, it seemed innocent because, well, I'll let you read what the whole scene is. Okay. And so Gordon and Lamar arrive in Bordas's quarters and show him the Rankin and Bass classic, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It dawns on Bordas that something generally considered a deformity can ultimately become an advantage. The reason I think that they came in here to specifically convince him is when he starts having the realization, Malloy's like nodding his head like, yep. Oh, okay. See, I didn't pick up on that. I just thought, oh, they're just trying to like be nice to Bordas, drink a beer, watch a movie. But I was also like, he just had a newborn baby. He can't like just sit down and drink and watch a movie. <laughs> but they, <laughs> they're watching Rudolph and I thought it was an accidental... I don't know. Guess yeah. I mean, I guess I could see it as being a swaying thing, but I was like, they just picked Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, and it. I mean, unless it's around out. Christmas time, that's an incredibly random movie to just throw on. For I him. know. Maybe I, I just like that he landed like Bordis landed on the fact that a deformity isn't necessarily a bad thing mm-hmm. on his own. But I, it, judging by what the whole crew was doing, it probably was a ploy to try to convince him. But of course, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer is the thing that. That just, oh my God. And like, just the way that Bordis explains the movie, like, I was just. I know. (laughs) You must hear the tale of Santa Claus and Rudolph. (laughs) But I, I like the way it's presented because I mean, Rudolph Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, we grew up with that Mm -hmm. movie and stuff. But like, they approach it from an alien race seeing it for the first time and the meaning that it takes on. And just, I don't know. It was an interesting way to have Bordis arrive at that conclusion. It was. That being a girl isn't necessarily a bad thing and that <laughs> rudolph saved christmas so maybe his daughter can do great things being a girl yeah why take away the thing that could ultimately give her a unique existence mm-hmm. bordis finds clyde in replicating clothing for their trip and informs him that he's changed his mind he wants to raise their child as she is clyden gets angry and says he won't agree because he was also born a female I was shocked at that. I also love the replicators and wish that was a real thing. Love that room. I want that to be real. Mm -hmm. And that's where we also had that moment where he's like, we need some privacy. And he like yells at 
the alien, the reptile alien who's getting just a slimy pillow. But when Clyden reveals that he was born female, it was like news to Bordis mm-hmm. too, obviously. And it's just it, it. I mean, I don't know the whole because like the next scene is when they discuss it. Yeah. And Bordis is obviously upset that Clyden didn't tell him sooner. Mm-hmm. And Clyden, you know, like discussed like earlier saying like it's one way to discuss domestic issues. Like Clyden saying, I didn't want to lose you. Mm-hmm. And change our relationship. But that's a pretty big thing to hide. It is a big thing. Although he did admit that he found out fairly recently. I don't, he doesn't say like exactly how many years ago. But I feel like mm-hmm. it was probably within like the last five years or something. Yeah. So it, but it's still like five yeah. years. Oh, no. It's still a long time. But I don't know like how long they've been together or anything like that. So that's true. who knows like where they were in their relationship at that time. They didn't give us that context. I did find it interesting, too, that this clearly proves Isaac wrong. Like, it doesn't happen <gasps> just once every oh. 75 years. It's more, mm-hmm. we already know of two instances in the same family of it happening. So this has to be happening way more than we're being told. And the only reason Clyden found out is because he said it was the first time he was examined by a non mocklin physician. <gasps> so... That leads me to conspiracy theory. Yeah. Is this something that happens way more than we're being led on to believe? And is there some like medical community conspiracy keeping this Mm -hmm. all secret so that like think about the fact that when they had the kid, they knew right away that there was a procedure. Yeah. Like if it happens once every 75 years, I would be like, what do we do? Yeah. (laughs) What do we do? Oh, yeah. Like. Oh, that is true. Because like, it seems like all Mocklins know. Oh, there's a procedure you have done. Yeah, and maybe it's just not talked about. Like, if you have a baby and you see that it's a girl, you just secretly go into the doctor and have it changed so nobody knows. Right, and then you don't mention it to anyone, so they're not discriminated against. And I feel like that's just what happens. Oh, I didn't. There's like, yeah, there's definitely a conspiracy theory with all of yeah. this. So it's but why a would, lot So deeper. Isaac's information was wrong yep. is because that's just what they want. The Mocklins yeah, want. Isaac, Isaac was misinformed. So he mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily wrong, wrong. He was going off the information that's been prevent, uh, presented by the Mocklins all this time. Yeah. That's interesting. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to think about with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, the Mocklin vessel arrives and they meet with its captain, Vorak. Unable to come to an agreement, Bordis requests a tribunal to determine the fate of the child. Because of her prior law experience, Commander Grayson is assigned to represent Bordis. I didn't love their responses when prompted to represent because they're both like, nope, not me. Yeah. And like openly arguing about it right in front of Bordis. Like, we don't want to do it. (laughs) It's well, didn't Bordis said. Captain, will you represent yeah. me? And he said, and he was just no. like, nope, I nope, no. Ke- Kelly did more law than me, so she does it now. Yep. And I, I mean, but good thing Bordis is so even keel about mm-hmm. things. I feel like he probably wasn't offended by probably it. Not. But for me, if someone did that, I'd be like, well, I'm going to think about this all night and be really sad about it, and I won't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I the the whole way that Captain. Mercer and Kelly handled this <laughs> it was like like it was really like inappropriate like with Kelly lashing out mm-hmm. 
during the meeting and then saying, oh, we have board games and just like it was very unprofessional, but it probably is because they've just never had to deal with anything. I mean, it's partially that and partially the fact that they're still leaning on the comedy a little bit. Yeah. And I think there was a lot less comedy in this episode. There was. And the jokes that were in, I don't think worked nearly as well because it was a more serious and a more dense issue that they were discussing. Like there was Mm -hmm. the joke that Mercer made in his office about like, just because you have a vagina doesn't mean that you have a lisp. Yeah. Unless you use it a certain way or whatever. Yeah. I was like, Oh, that's (laughs) no. (laughs) I just feel like there was, I mean, I think since the topic was so heavy, they probably were trying to just lighten it a little bit. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I think that a lot of it worked, but there was, some of it that just seemed like you could be the car. And he's like, I'm always the car talking about Monopoly. He's like, you can be the thimble. Like it's it's stuff where it's like, yeah, I can kind of like I think I giggled internally yeah. a little bit, but it, it was just more of like, damn, though, they're dealing with something very serious. And they're talking here about and- like Monopoly. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the dance off was fantastic. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. Ten out of ten for the dance off. Yeah. Uh, approaching Machlis, the surface is completely industrialized and the tribunal begins. Advocate Kagus begins asking Bordas about his first date with Clyden and saying that keeping the child a female would rob her of those experiences as she'd be shamed by society. Bordas says that no one can make those predictions and the decision should be hers. It, I mean, they went right in mm-hmm. when they started the tribunal. But when you look at it, from a practical perspective, like that's their culture. That's what they know. But now that you've introduced that conspiracy theory, it's a corrupt environment. But how many of the people in this room actually know that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think like you're like you said, like we they knew there was a procedure, but they must that must all be done in secret if anybody ever had a girl and you don't talk about it because they could be shunned. Mm-hmm. The fact that um Clyden didn't know he was female. Exactly. Born until he was much older. It just shows that there's something going on there more than just like this happening once every so many years. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think Bordis is right. Like, you can't predict the future, but they're trying to predict what they think will happen. Yeah. Or they're just already planting the seeds of like, she's going to be shunned no matter what. Mm -hmm. Which is true. She would have been. Yeah, totally. And we see at the end of the episode their kind of reaction to a female. Mm-hmm. As Grayson begins, her intent is to prove that being female isn't a handicap. She has Alara prove that she's stronger than any Mocklin in the room by reshaping the gavel with her bare hands. Kagus says this is due to being a different species, not a different sex. I think he has a point. I agree. I I thought it was kind of a weak argument mm-hmm. because she's Salean. And he did make the thing <laughs> saying, like, if she was a male Salean, he wouldn't have had done as much effort or had to do as much effort to reshape right. the titanium gavel it ju- it was a, a little bit of grasping at straws i think to prove but she had to she could only do that because there are at that moment there were no female mocklins yeah kelly's trying to prove her point on a universal scale because she doesn't have an example of a mocklin female to work with mm-hmm. so it's really her only course which else is she going to do yeah Uh, Grayson continues by testing Gordon's intelligence, and he proves that he's not book smart. She says that this proves there is no basis for gender superiority, which, again, kind of even based on the last thing we said, is a bit of a weak argument because what's true of humans might not be true of Mocklins. Yeah. If she found like an unintelligent Mocklin, sure. But I mean, again, she's probably grasping at straws, Mm -hmm. but 
wasn't a very her argument while she was trying was just not very strong. It wasn't no. Granted, I'm not sure his was either. Kegus then True. questions Dr. Finn. He brings up circumcision and how it's perfectly acceptable to perform that alteration without the child's consent. Finn says that it's not a life-altering scenario. Kegus counters by saying that a life-altering scenario would be allowing the child to grow up a female and being shunned by society, which is garbage <laughs> because <laughs> there's nothing altering about leaving a child as is. They keep shunned, like by him saying she's going to be shunned, I think that essentially just goes to show that they won't have a tolerance for it. No, they won't. Yeah, so like they've already made up their mind, like if she is female, I mean, I can't even imagine the kind of life she would have, but if they left her female and they, she grew up on a union vessel, she would at least be separated from it. Mm. But I, I mean, I can see the ties to like your culture and you want to, I, I, I could see it being like a really difficult decision, mm-hmm. but Bordis was on board with just seeing how it went and Clyden was like, no, we need to do the procedure. Yeah. Clyden is just very much like, this is what we need to do, like not even wavering. Yeah. But it just seems like the way that the the Mocklin advocate was just talking about her being a female, it was just always going back to the fact that she would be shunned. Yeah. And it's just not acceptable in society. Yeah. There was never an argument of, I mean, he did say females are not as strong, but like, where's your evidence again? Because without an actual female, a Mocklin female... All arguments mm-hmm. mean nothing. We have no basis of comparison. Everything is speculative. Well, yeah, I think he didn't. He say that they aren't as smart too. He said everything. Yeah, he said mm-hmm. he said they're not as smart. They're not as strong. It's a handicap. But it's like again based on what exactly? Like I don't think they even know honestly because yeah, when's the last time they saw a Mocklin female? It just seems like a very radical approach to it without having all the information Mm -hmm. but you see that all the time with like religion and politics and stuff Mm -hmm. it's just you hold fast to something you believe in and that's all there is because that's just what society tells you is Mm -hmm. the way things are yeah ed leaves the courtroom and makes a call to isaac on the orville asking him to scan the planet when he gets the data he takes alara and lamar to the mountains there they find an elderly mocklin female havina who's been hiding away her entire life how did Ed get that idea? Like, did he just, was he just sitting there and you think like it just popped into his head? I had that question too. And there was a comment made by Advocate Kagus who said something along the lines of that female would be shunned planet wide. And when he said oh. planet wide, Ed was like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. He said like she would be shunned planet wide and would live a life of isolation or something. And Ed was probably like, oh, Okay. Yeah. I wonder. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Now. I don't think I was like, was how did he clear. arrive at that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's where I had to kind of rewatch that a couple times to put that together because mm-hmm. it did feel like he just got an idea out of nowhere. Yeah. That was like he left the courtroom. He's like, there's ladies here, yeah. like kind of thing. And it was not, <laughs> I didn't make that connection. So that, that helps kind of clarify that. And yeah. And then he's, he asked, I like how he called into the courtroom mm-hmm. to be like, John, get a Lara. I'm like, like it, like he's answering. Be his subtle, yeah. He's got his communicator. Out. <laughs> it it just seemed like the equivalent of like a phone in a concert, <laughs> yeah, or something. Nothing subtle about it. Back at the tribunal, Kegus asks the arbitrator to end the proceedings just as the crew enters with Havina. Havina then makes an impassioned speech to the tribunal. 
when I was born long ago. My parents made the choice to allow me to remain female. They believed that to have me altered would be an offense to nature. So they took me far up into the mountains and built our family a home in seclusion. They taught me to think, to read, to wonder. They taught me to love the person I was. When they passed, I remained. I had planned to die up there, undiscovered. <laughs> But that is no longer possible. The tribunal must not be allowed to take from this child the gift that I was given. So I present myself to you as a woman without regret. I am happy. She then quotes Gondis Alden, one of the planet's most prolific writers, before revealing that she and he are one and the same. She points out that there is more than one way to contribute to society. That was like the ultimate mic drop. Because mm -hmm. didn't Bordis quote Earlier in Elden? the episode, yes. Yeah, earlier in the episode when they were boarding the shuttle to go into the Mocklin ship. And it came full circle. But yeah, it seemed like the courtroom... I, I wonder, like, after this, if they just totally shunned Eldon's writings after they found out. That'd be interesting. I know, like, they don't discuss that, but I, that's something I've thought about. Like, is that just something that's, like, banned text now? It's possible. But it was something that, yeah, like, it's something that was so prolific in their society mm -hmm. and so important. And how dare you quote, you know, his works? And she's just, like, dropping the mic. That's me up in the <laughs> mountains writing your, your most... Famous. And also the first good argument in the tribunal. Yeah. But it, I, pff, but the ending. While waiting for the decision of the arbitration council, Ed and Kelly speak with Bordas. He thanks them for helping him and says that not only will he love his child no matter the outcome, but he will stay with Clyden despite their differences because he still loves him. Have you talked to Clyden? He still believes she must undergo the procedure. Well, I doubt the arbitration council does. Havina's testimony changed everything. I wish I had such confidence. But whatever happens, we will love her in every way we are able. You'd stay with Clyden after all of this? I must try. He is still my mate, and I love him. I really liked both this part and Peter Macon's performance. Mm -hmm. Very earnest. Yeah, because there's the scene right after that where we meet Topa. Mm -hmm. And I just thought of how Bordas handled all of it was admirable. And like it made me like oddly emotional because he like gave Topa their little Rudolph toy. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, said, because I Clyden apologized that I'm sorry it ended up this way yeah. or whatever. Yeah, he's like, I didn't want to put you through this. And then Bordis goes, what matters now is that we give him a good life. Yes. And I just, I don't know, like this episode in general was just kind of like while there was goofy things here and there, it was just kind of powerful in mm -hmm. like, I know it's because he's a Mocklin, but for like the human condition. Yeah. Like just exploring really difficult things and how you can just try to shift your focus to the good things mm -hmm. for making the best out of a situation that sucks. Yeah. And 
he might not have agreed with. And like he Bordis didn't get his way, but how he handled it with such grace. Yeah, I think that a lot of people. So there's a lot of divisiveness about this episode that I found online. And the things that people don't like this episode are that it deals with the the gender discussion in a way that they're not happy with. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the point of this episode. I think they brought in something where it's like one of the only things where you could be like questioning whether or not to do that surgery. Yeah. Because like any other handicap or deformity, you could be like, oh, just fix it. Yeah. And yeah, you could have a discussion about some of those too, but I think this one is the one that makes you question it the most. So it's not really about the surgery to change sex as much as it is about this person is different and we're not sure society can accept that. That's really what it's about. I think it touches on a lot of things about how life-altering things can affect your relationships dealing with different cultural differences, things that we might not do, but another culture does. And I think it focuses a lot on judgment mm-hmm. and judging other people. And I mean, it, it's it's a tough issue because it's like she's a, she's a baby. She can't make this choice. Someone's making the choice for her. So there's a lot of, I think it touches on a lot of things that yeah, it, it revolves around the sex change, but I think it, it applies to so many different things. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's a touchy subject no matter what, which I think is why the ending was like, it was shocking to me. It was very shocking. Just because like, because like in my head, I'm like, obviously they're not the first time I watched it. I just remember being like, oh, my God, like, what? OK, because TV shows generally spoon feed you things Mm -hmm. and you usually get a result where you're like, she'll have a choice and it'll be all like everything works out. And in this situation, it didn't. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that challenges the viewer to really think about things and think about, I mean, the way that I don't know, the ending really sticks with me with just how Bordis handles Mm -hmm. it and Clyden apologizes, but his shift on like, we just need to raise him right and give him a good life and- and just the fact that he gave him Rudolph, which I know it was kind of a joke thing See, earlier I didn't take in the episode. Well, yeah, earlier in the episode, but it was very touching yeah. at the end. Yeah, because it kept coming up. Like, I remember when Bordis went to go see Clyden in the replicator room and he's like, you must hear the tale of Rudolph. Yeah. Like, it's kind of presented in a, like a joking kind of way. But when he gives Rudolph to Topa, I just was like, oh, my God, like. It just it touches you in a lot of different ways than just being like, oh, call back to that comedy. Bit, yeah, it's like, you know, here you go my Rudolph. Yeah, you're my you're still special to me. And I, I just it's a very delicate subject to handle. And I mean, people are obviously not going to be pleased with it seems like every somebody out there is not going to be happy with how it's handled. Sure. And it's very controversial. But I think it opens up a discussion, mm-hmm. which I think is important, too. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It's 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 a tough episode, but it, I think it's a really important episode. It made me think of uh, the way that the ending played out. It made me think of the TNG episode, First Contact. Oh, yeah. Because that whole episode, they're trying to get this society to kind of accept the outsiders and make it known and perhaps become a part of the Federation and all that stuff. And then we're all thinking that their eyes are going to be opened and they're just going to like accept us lovingly. But we get a same kind of ending where it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, we're not ready for that yet. 
And it's that's the yeah. same thing here. We're just not ready for that yet. It's a lot of like discussion about evolution too, in the sense of how people change over time. Mm-hmm. And maybe someday on Mockless it'll be acceptable, but at this stage it's just not. Mm. And maybe throughout the show we'll see a change or a shift in that. But it's it's something that it's just it's tough. It's just a tough thing to see and to like even like coming up with ideas to like how to talk about this and mm-hmm. stuff. I want to like tread carefully and not say the wrong thing and and it's just it's an interesting way to present something especially for a third episode yes. of a new show. Yes. It's pretty intense, but it stuck with me and I appreciated it that they tackled something difficult. Agreed. And it wasn't just like the let's go on space kind of yeah, thing yeah. like it was a real issue and real relationship-esque type things being dealt with. Okay. So then, what is your big takeaway from this episode? Oh. <laughs> um, I think my my takeaway, I mean, honestly, I was shocked when I walked away mm-hmm. from it. But it wasn't a bad kind of shock. It was like a realistic kind of settling of this show is going to tackle serious topics and it's not going to be just a joke around kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I was I was happy about that. And I felt like I could get behind it more because I'm like, it reminded me a lot of Next Generation where they deal with like philosophical and real issues and it can still be fun and it can still be funny and have goofy things involved. But they're not shying away from actual issues Mm -hmm. and it has something to say. And I, I really appreciate it. So my takeaway was like, Oh damn, they're going, they're going in and I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, the arguments made in the tribunal by everyone, but Havina were pretty weak. I thought, Mm -hmm. I remember them being stronger the first time that I watched this episode, but I found more flaws this time. Yeah. Uh, regardless, though, I love a courtroom debate <laughs> in sci-fi <laughs> because even even if they're not making the best arguments, they're asking the questions. And that's kind of the most important thing for me about sci-fi. Yeah. The thing that I loved about The Next Generation and even as an adult, and I love anything philosophical or philosophy mm-hmm. related and just dealing with like questions that need to be answered and getting I, and I think that this show brought that in this episode totally and the courtroom scenes were really well done in the sense of like we're going to talk about this Mm -hmm. and it was a good way to present it uh despite the episode not completely hitting that mark i still think it's a major leap forward for the show Mm -hmm. uh they brought up like you said much more serious subject matter this time around they attempted to explore an ethical question which is when executed well makes good sci-fi into great sci-fi yeah uh this was the first episode too where i kind of stepped back and like you thought this feels like tng and i really really like it Mm -hmm. this is the one that convinced me okay i'm on board for this show yeah totally i think this was a turning point for me too like this specific episode like I was saying, I know this is a divisive episode. Some people thought it did a really good job tackling the subject matter. Others think it's still too behind on the times as far as modern discussions surrounding sex reassignment go. I admit I'm not 
no more educated than the show is on that front, at least. So I'm probably not the best person to make those kind of judgments. So I will just leave them be out there for other people to discuss. Mm-hmm. I will say, however, that the strongest message to me is the one presented by Bordis at the end. And we kind of touched on this a little bit, too, already, is that regardless of who his child becomes, he's still going to love it. Yeah. And regardless of having a major disagreement with his mate, he still loves him and will do his best to make it work. And I think that's a great message. There are so many people that get clashing ideologies and just write a person off right away. Yeah. And Bordis is like, I'm sorry, but I love Clyden. So yeah, we disagree on this. It's a major thing, but he's my mate and I'm going to make it work. I'm going to try at least. I think that's the best takeaway from it. It's just that he's going to make it work with Clyden and that he's going to love Topa no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think the last, I mean, like if, even if people watch the whole episode and they're like, I don't like this or this part sucks. I don't mm-hmm. agree with this. Like, I think that those last two scenes are like important, super important. And I think that's when people need to like listen the most. 100% agree. Before we get out of here, we need to do what we always do and welcome in Katie's husband, Mark, to give us our one sentence review. Sheesh, talk about mocking a tough decision, am I right? Quantum Drive is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at the Rob Logan. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Twitch at Katie Peters Plays. And Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the the future. future. And we just want to say a big congratulations to the Orville for getting renewed for a season three, which means there's a lot more quantum drive coming your way.